And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome back to the show today. Of course, it is uh, Wednesday. It's hump day. And uh, Danny Ratliff's supposed to join me this morning, but he's uh, <coughs> sick, he says. I think the alarm clock went off this morning, and he was like, I'm sleeping in. <laughs> so, can't blame him. So I started this new workout program yesterday. Yeah, so, uh, and, and I'll tell you what, if you hear a lot of groaning and gruffing this morning, I am so sore today already. So just... You know, so if you hear a lot of groaning and if I drop something on the floor, I ain't picking it up. So that's just all that's just, it's just all there is to it. Anyway, no, just got you know, gotta get ready. Spring break's coming up and then uh, summer vacation. So very excited this year. We're we're having our last big family vacation this year because all of our kids are now fleeing the nest. So this is our last kind of hoorah for the family. They don't know this yet, by the way. They think vacations are, you know, every year. But this is the last one, so we're going to take the kids to Greece this summer. So, got to get in shape. So got to we'll, get your we'll bikini bod ready. Exactly. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, working on that. All right, couple of things that are going on. Uh, of course, today is the NVIDIA earnings day. And, you know, this is kind of going to be the make or break point for the market really overall, just because all eyes are on NVIDIA. If you take a look at what's happening with NVIDIA stock as, uh, in particular, you know, it's just been on an absolute tear um, really, ever since the October lows of 2022, uh, the stock was trading right around $100 a share. It's uh, you know $694 a share yesterday. So, uh, just a, a massive increase in the price of the stock, all based around this idea of artificial intelligence. Well, earnings expectations are very high for the company today, and you know, and it's not just the earnings. Look, they're 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 going to beat earnings. Okay not worried about them beating earnings today. What, and, and of course they could miss, but you know, odds are they're gonna beat their earnings estimates today. It's going to be the Ford guidance that is the most important. Expectations right now for NVIDIA are exceptionally high in terms of earnings growth going forward. It's just every year, just you know, stronger and stronger revenue multiples, et cetera. So there's a, there's a more than a small risk of disappointment in today's earnings reports. And yesterday the stock sold off kind of in advance of that. This morning futures are pointing a little bit lower on the, on the NASDAQ as well. So um, yesterday came down, tested the 20-day moving average on, on its chart yesterday. So held that uh, into the close, so that's good. If we take out that 20-day moving average, which is around $670 a share, we're talking about a decline of probably around $100 a share to get back down to the 50-day moving average at 574. The 200-day moving average is at $464. That is a fairly significant decrease in the price of the stock and something that is not outside the realm of possibility. A correction back to the 200-day moving average is normal in a lot of cases. So, you know, if we go back and look at the stock throughout history, there's been more than, than one occasion where the stock has had a decline back towards the 200-day the moving average. So again, when this, the, the price of this stock is so deviated from that 200-day moving average, kind of like we saw here previously, you're going to get a correction back there at some point. Doesn't mean today, doesn't mean tomorrow, just, just kind of pointing out that there is significant downside risk. So again, we've gotten, and you know, last week we took profits in NVIDIA, 
you know, repositioned our, our portfolio size back to weight. We're a little bit underweight that position relative to the portfolio. So again, you know, if we get a good correction, it'll be a buying opportunity. This is still going to be the leading company in artificial intelligence, gaming, videos, all this stuff going forward because of the, the graphics cards that they make. But again, the stock has gotten very, very expensive relative to its underlying value. And again, that, that doesn't mean you know, that it, it's you know, going to bust and you know, it's going to decline back to $100 a share. Certainly could. But the point is that you know, we just need to keep some things in perspective. The stock has gone very, very far, very, very quickly. It is overvalued relative to its long-term earnings growth potential. And so it's going to be very difficult to kind of generate this year-over-year revenue growth they're doing. Now, again, it's still likely that they can do this in the short term because they're just really kind of hitting their stride. There's a lot of demand for AI chips right now, GPUs in particular, uh, which is what they produce. So there's, a, there's you know, a real ability for them to continue to grow revenue at leaps and bounds. But the further that they get, it's the law of large numbers, it's going to become much more challenging to grow at a pace in order to justify the valuations that are currently pegged to this company. So again, I'm not making the case that you need to go sell all your shares at all. I'm just, I'm just warning you that there is a risk of disappointment, maybe not today when they announce earnings, but there is a risk of disappointment in this company at some point in the future here. So just something to be aware of. And again, this has been a, you know, a, a tremendous you know, stock over the course of, of this really. And, and when you kind of look at a long-term chart, you can just see how big this rally has been since October of 2022. Um, and the stock was already in a massive rally going into 2022. So, you know, when you had that correction in 2022, that was already from a stock that was trading at $300 a share back then. And, you know, with valuations of 20 times price to sales, you gave up a very big chunk of that gain going into that correction in 2022. Now you can see how big that this run has been as of late. So, you know, there's a lot of comparisons back to Cisco and the dot-com crisis. There's certainly some reasons to make that because valuations are hard to justify at this level. Again, doesn't mean that something's gonna come, you know, come completely apart and crash, but something that you need to be aware of. Okay, let's talk a little bit about what you need to know before the bell this morning. Uh, the S&P yesterday, and again, because of tech, uh, yesterday, in, in general, we, you know, the, the kind of the big tech names yesterday were the drag on the overall market. Uh, the the S&P came down, tested the 20-day moving average again. Look, this has been a rising trend line for the S&P over the course of the last, you know, really three, four, five months. Uh, that 20-day moving average has been the trend of the markets. We tested that yesterday. We're going to test it again this morning at the open. If the market fails at that 20-day moving average, we're going to be looking at 4,800-ish uh, on the S&P, which is the 50-day. One thing to note in particular um, with the, the market is that we have this very nice rising trend in the market. However, we have a negative divergence now in relative strength. And, and typically when you have declining momentum and we did trigger a MACD sell signal yesterday, also a bit of a negative divergence there as well. Um, so you got prices that are rising while you have deteriorating momentum, which suggests that again, what's gonna be the catalyst or the cause? I don't know, we've talked about this issue of, of needing a correction in the markets to work off some of this overbought, over bullish condition. This is the type of setup that tells you that momentum underneath the surface is waning. And that is typically what you're gonna see before you get some type of correction here in the market. So again, as we've been talking about, use this opportunity 
take a little bit of money off the table, take some profits, rebalance risk. Those type of uh, actions will help protect you, particularly if you have a lot of speculative positions in your portfolio. This is a great time to go in and say, you know, I've made a lot of money here on this position. Let's take some of that money off the table right now. We'll come back. Now, again, let me be clear. That does not mean sell everything. <laughs> does not mean go to cash. It means reduce position weights back down to target weights, those type of things. So again, if you have a 3% position in your portfolio, it's now four, trim it back to three. That's all we're talking about here. Just taking a bit of profit off the table. Uh, this type of setup here suggests that a bigger correction is likely coming five to 10%, very likely this time of year. So again, as, and particularly as we move in the last half of February and into March, these tend to be kind of seasonally weaker periods of the year as well. So again, just something to pay attention to. Just be careful that declining momentum is certainly worth worrying about here just a bit. Okay, quick break. We're gonna come back um, and pick up with our market, uh, kind of the markets, and we'll talk about the economy a bit. Got a couple of other stories out this morning about young millennials and their trading habits. Don't go away, more of the Real Investment Show coming up. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Nothing sinks a marriage quicker than money issues. If the Valentine's Day glow has faded, promise you'll respect your lover's credit. Communicate about your money and share together our first candid coffee for 2024. Five money habits of unhappy couples. Saturday, February 24th. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will have money tips to help revive your financial harmony. Register now at Real Invest investmentadvice.com. Five money habits of unhappy couples. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So, you know, a couple of things, uh, again, you know, just as we've talked about you know previously and it's always kind of interesting yesterday the conference board released their leading economic indicators now this is basically a composite of 10 different indicators things like wage growth the S&P 500 you know prices um, interest rate spreads etc that they use in order to predict the kind of the string, it's it's the leading indicators of, of economic strength, right? So these are the things that typically have a prediction of economic growth in the future. And, and it's quite interesting because yesterday, the leading, uh, this leading economic index declined for the 23rd month in a row. That is the longest stretch by one month since 2007, before we went to the financial crisis. So this is kind of an interesting, you know, problem, because as we're talking about this, you know, there's, there's basically absolutely no expectation of a recession anywhere. And in fact... Thought it was interesting because this was written in, in Reuters yesterday. <laughs> the conference board on Tuesday 
discuss the latest economic confidence report. It was a 20, I'll read to you from the article. It was the 23rd straight monthly decline, just one month short of the record long slump that began in April of 2007. Now, remember, we be, the leading economic indicators started declining in April of 2007. We didn't know we were in a financial crisis until September of 2008. Okay, so took a long time to realize that we were in a recession. Now, also remember that the National Bureau of Economic Research, so this is the organization that is the arbiter of recession dating. They didn't date the start of the recession, which started in December of 2007, until December of 2008. So it was a year later. But yet, the leading economic indicators had said we were in a recession the whole time. Now, also remember, a bit of history in case you weren't around, in early 2000, in March of 2008, Ben Bernanke, the then chairman of the Federal Reserve, is saying, hey, subprime is contained. It's a Goldilocks economy. There was no call for a recession. But yet in December of 2008, the National Bureau of Economic Research says, hey, it started in December of 2007. The leading economic indicators were saying that in April of 2007. So the reason I give you this brief history is because the conference board on Tuesday... Again, let me read to you from the from Reuters. The conference board on Tuesday abandoned a long-running call for the U.S. economy to fall into recession, although its leading economic index still sees economic output flatlining in the month ahead. Now, one of the most, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the most, or one of the best, I should say one of the best indicators of a recession is when you look at the six-month rate of change in the leading economic in index. That six-month rate of change, has a perfect track record for predicting recessions historically going back to the 70s until this time, right? We haven't had a recession yet. Now, again, I'm not claiming that we're about to have a recession. I'm just, I'm just telling you what's interesting about this is that even the agency that produces the leading economic index that has a flawless track record historically of predicting recessions has now given up its recession call. Now, there's some reasons for that, obviously, and we've talked about that before, is that if we take a look at the massive flood of monetary liquidity that's been injected to the markets, it had to go somewhere. So it went into economic activity particularly when a lot of it was focused on infrastructure spending, you know, building out chips manufacturing plants to bring semiconductor manufacturing back to the States. And again, a lot of that money is getting wasted. As we talked about recently, you know, there are people applying for the CHIPS Act that have businesses that don't make any revenue whatsoever, but they're getting money from the government to, you just basically, you provide a PowerPoint says, this is what I want to do and the government will give you money for it. So, it creates a temporary economic boost, but there's no end product coming out of this, no end revenue, no lasting business. And this is what always happens with these programs because they're not thought out well. So we'll see. But that's why all this money is keeping the economy out of recession. Now, once that, all that money kind of ends, if there's not a replacement for it, 
maybe you get the recession then. And we'll look back and say, oh, the leading indicators were right. But the point is, is that so far, we have not had a recession, despite the fact that we have this indicator that historically has always produced a positive outcome. Now, I will tell you one thing, and if I can get Brent to share this one chart with me this morning. So this is the six-month rate of change of the leading economic index. And here's the problem with this chart is that, as you notice, on the right, far right-hand side of this chart, and if you're driving, don't try to, don't try to look at your screen, I'll explain to you. The, the six-month rate of change is turning up, right? It's still negative. It's still below the recession line, but it is improving. So the rate of change of economic activity is improving. What is interesting about this, and again, this is the one thing that when you take a look at economic data, and particularly as it compares to recessions over time, what we always tend to forget is, is that the recession wasn't dated till after the fact. So you go back historically and you go, oh, look, you know, every time that this six-month rate of change of the index has fallen below zero, we've always had a recession. That's true. Except when it went below zero, we didn't know we were in a recession until much later. Like I said, in, in April of 2008, the indicator, sorry, the April of 2007, the indicator goes negative. We didn't know we were in a recession until December of 2008. So when they, when they, and they said, oh yeah, and that recession started a year earlier, December of 2007. So now we mark it on the graph and go, oh yeah, well there, it's, it's completely obvious. So in other words, what I'm saying is, is that if you, if you think about it that way, what we always see historically is that the leading economic indicators, the six-month rate of change bottom, starts to improve, and then we get the notification of the recession after the fact. So the fact that we're seeing an improvement in the leading economic indicators still does not mean entirely that we are devoid of risk of having a recession. It is just maybe just delayed. And, and again, could this time be different? And, and as I've explained to you before, this time could be different because we were growing at an abnormally high economic growth rate nominal than at any other point previously. If we had been growing at a normal rate in the economy, 2 2.5%, and we've had the decline, we've had about an 8% decline in economic growth rates since the peak back in 2022. <clears throat> Excuse me. We would be in a recession. But the fact that we were growing at nearly 12% on a nominal rate, we have to reverse all of that, right? We got to, we've got to have a very, very big decline in economic activity just to get to zero. So because of that abnormally high spike in economic activity that was driven by $5 trillion worth of stimulus and, and multiple bailout programs and, and you know quantitative easing and, and zero interest rates and all this other stuff, that's why we haven't had a recession yet. It still doesn't mean we won't. Economic growth is continuing to slow. And we may actually get to that recession at some point, and then we'll look back and go, oh, yeah, the indicators were right. But it may not be till next year. It could be the year after. We'll see. I don't, you know, again, don't know. But I find it interesting that the, the 
organization, the conference board, which has been producing this leading economic index for decades and says, look, you know, this indicator has been right every single time. Now they're going, well, I guess we're not going to have a recession. This kind of reminds me of, of Bob Farrell when he says that, you know, when all experts agree, something else tends to happen. Now we have basically every organization that predicts recession now saying, yeah, no recession. And again, maybe we won't. I'm not a predictor of recessions. I just have to deal with what I have to deal with. Markets are bullish. Feds, you know, trying to start cutting rates, providing monetary accommodation. Lots of reason markets are doing well. Plenty of monetary stimulus. Who knows? But I just find this interesting that now we literally <laughs> have everyone predicting no recession. Um, here's the, con the comment from the conference board. The economy remains in growth mode, and the outlook continues to be optimistic due to the strength of the labor market, right, low unemployment, easing in financial market conditions, that's the Fed promising to cut rates, and robust consumer spending heading into 2024. We estimate first quarter consumption growth is tracking at 2.1% annualized, lower than our baseline forecast of 2.5, though that would still be consistent with solid quarter one growth of 2%. Again, we were at 12 a couple of years ago. Now we're at two. All right, be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com and welcome back to the show this morning so just talking a little bit about the leading economic indicators a minute ago still very negative 23 months in a row predicting a recession but yet no recession in fact even now the conference board has given up their recession call saying, well, pff, I guess there's no recession. And, you know, the funny thing is, is that they note that one of the reasons why there's no sign of a recession is strong consumer spending, which is true. But when we talk about strong consumer spending, you have to quantify that. And here's what I mean by that. What's better for the economy. Last year, I spent $100 in the economy, okay? This year, I spent $200. Now, I spent more, right? So that's obviously a 100% increase in consumer spending year over year, so the economy should be doing well. But here's the differentiator that I want to give you to think about. In scenario one, I spend $100 more than I did last year, and inflation is zero. So I'm buying $100 more worth of goods. 
than I did last year. In scenario two, I'm spending $100 more, but I'm buying the same amount of goods than last year. So what's better for the economy? And see, this is the problem with a lot of this data is that we don't look at it on an, uh, on an inflation-adjusted basis. We just say, well, retail sales were up, but we don't really explain why they were up. And there's a big difference because we don't measure, for instance, retail sales is a great example. We measure retail sales in terms of volume. Uh, sorry, in terms of dollars, but not in volume. So am I, am I, I'm spending more dollars, yes, but am I spending and creating more volume of activity? In the economy, which is what creates economic growth. And so when we talk about strong consumer spending, yes, consumers are, are spending money. They, they certainly are. They're also going further into debt. Not only are they running up credit card debt, now we're running up these buy now, pay later scams, schemes, companies, however you want to put it. <laughs> and this is all going to have a, a consequence on consumers at some point because that bill comes due right it just hasn't come due yet but the bill will come due and it's got to be paid and you know so when we talk about the economy and there was a there was a good article in the wall street journal today that um, talks about this very issue talking about that consumers are now spending more on food as a percentage of their income. And there's a really good chart this morning uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the article, and it kind of shows you going back to 1990 that this is a 30-year high in how much people are spending in terms of their income on food. It's 30%. I'm mean, sorry, it's, it's a little over 11% of their income just on food. And groceries as well. They're up sharply in price. And again, this is why we hear a lot of this when you when you know we have these reports about CPI. CPI was, you know, flat to down or whatever. There's always this pushback on the inflation data for well, apparently these people haven't bought groceries lately. Yeah, you know, this it's a true story, right? And there's no good gauge of inflation, period. Right? Because it's different. It's if you live in California, your inflation is very different than it is in Texas. Right. If you live in New York, your inflation is very different than it is in Tennessee. If you're older, your inflation rate is very different than when you're younger. So there's no one good gauge of looking at inflation. So we have these broad measures. And so these broad measures try to capture some of the price change. And we've and, and look, we, we've as we've done with everything in terms of government numbers, back in the, the late 90s under the Clinton administration, uh, the Clinton administration brought in the Boskin Commission to come in and, and rejigger how we calculate inflation. We used to measure inflation on just a basket of goods. We looked at that basket of goods year over year basis, and that was inflation. And then we got into all these other mathematical adjustments. And the reason for doing that, the sole purpose of that activity was to suppress the rate of inflation in order to lower Social Security adjustments. And so we've been, ever since the late 90s, have been manipulating CPI in order to keep the cost of inflation adjustments down for Social Security payments, considering it's a, about an $80, $90 trillion unfunded liability. Makes complete sense. But this is why there's such a pushback 
against these numbers because the average person is just struggling to make ends meet at home. It's like, have you gone out to eat lately? It's ridiculous how much it costs to go eat. I'll read to you from the Wall Street Journal article. Many diners have said that going they are going out less frequently or skipping appetizers while buying cheaper store brands more frequently at supermarkets and seeking out promotions or deals via apps. They are starting to chip away at some sales for food makers and restaurant operators. Denny's, Wendy's, and other restaurant chains told investors this month that their guest counts fell last year compared to 2022 levels as consumers, in particular those with lower incomes, feel the financial pinch. Now, remember... In 2022, we saw a lot of money in the system, right? 2021, 2022, still had all those stimulus checks. We weren't having to make uh, mortgage payments, the rent moratorium. You had the student loan moratorium. So people had excess income to go spend, and there was a lot of what everybody wants to term revenge spending coming out of the pandemic. It's like, well, you locked me down for a year, so now I'm just going to go crazy and spend money on everything. Well, now they're running out of money. And as we've talked about, they've had they've, they've run up the credit cards and now they're into the buy now, pay later uh, schemes. And again, I've told you this before about, you know, never count the consumer out because the one thing that the consumer is really, really good about is finding ways to find income. And if they can't get it on debt or credit, they start working the governmental system. And this is why, you know, if you go back and look at disability claims following the financial crisis. There was a big spike. All of a sudden, big spike in financial uh, and disability claims. So, consumers are very crafty about coming up with ways to spend money and get money. But there's an eventual end game to that that is going to impact, and we're starting to see some of that. Um, big food make- makers, including Hershey and Kraft Heinz, again from the Wall Street Journal have reported that their sales volumes declined as prices rose for their products, with several reporting a hit to profits in the latest fiscal year and others an increase. Food companies said they're feeling the pinch themselves, while commodities such as corn, wheat, coffee, beans, and chicken have gotten cheaper, which is, by the way, part of how we measure CPI is what we call hedonic adjustments. And we also do this food switching. So if beef gets too, uh, in, in in theory, how we calculate CPI and food is like, well, beef's too expensive, so people switch to chicken, which is cheaper, right? Prices for sugar beef, French fries are still on the rise. So again, you know, the, the, the point is that, yes, individuals are spending more. Consumer spending remains strong right now, and that is supporting economic activity. But they're not buying more stuff. They're just spending more dollars on it. So the way that we measure personal consumption expenditures is on dollar volume, not product volume. What creates economic activity is not dollars spent. It's the product that we produce. Remember, we have to produce first in order to consume that consumption is how we measure economic growth. Personal consumption expenditures make up 70% of GDP, roughly. A little bit less. So if we're producing less, that's going to equate ultimately to slower rates of economic growth. And that's why we're seeing economic growth rates slow. We were at 12, now we're down to 2, and that's going to continue to decline. 
So again, this, this to make this full circle now, we go back to that leading economic indicator story that says, hey, absolutely no sign of a recession. I'm giving up on my recession call. Be careful with that. I'm not saying there's a recession on the immediate horizon, but the reality is, is that we are slowly reversing that economic surge that we had in 2021, 2022. That is reversing, and we will eventually get to recessionary activity, and there's a lot of evidence that says we'll get there. It's just not going to be next month. And everybody's been expecting, and remember in 2022, Everybody expected a recession. We didn't get one. In 2023, they started giving up on the recession call. So here we are in 2024. Now nobody expects a recession. We just haven't gotten there yet. And it just may take us longer to get there than what we thought previously because of all that monetary impulse, all that monetary stimulus that's out there. But you talk, you talk to the average American. And again, you take a look at, at presidential poll ratings, right? What's your view of how the current administration has done with the economy? Not good. It's in the 30s. But wait, the economic data is incredibly strong. So how can you have such a negative sentiment about the current administration's you know, handling of the economy when all this economic data is booming? Because the average American is, is basically struggling to make ends meet. Not, not, not you guys, because... Y'all are listening to a financial show at 645 in the morning central time. So you've obviously got some money invested in the markets and the markets are, you know, helping you out here. But for a big chunk of the economy, that's not the case. All right. Be right back after the break. news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com so just talking a little bit about you know Money and you know people's ability to find money and all that. And again, uh, this morning, the Biden administration is now going to forgive another 1.2 billion in student debt uh, for over 150,000 borrowers. So there's just additional money that people will now have to spend because they don't have to make student loan payments, right? So again, that those are the kind of things that keep the economic engine going, right? Now, what it, it's it's Sounds fine to forgive some student loan debt, and that's, you know, politics, but somebody's got to pay that debt. That debt is out there, right? So even though it gets forgiven, it's got to get paid by somebody. And, of course, as taxpayers have to pick up the tab ultimately, but, you know, who cares these days, right? It's just like we just spend money. 
we forgive debt and you know whatever it is and it's all good right so but there's always a liability to some of these things down the road um I want to shift you know a little bit back to the markets here for a second because uh, markets are going to open a little bit lower this morning Palo Alto Networks, which is one of the leading companies in cybersecurity, announced earnings yesterday. Stock's going to be down about 24% this morning on lack of guidance. Now, the reason that I bring this up is because this stock in particular is very much like NVIDIA in terms of its kind of trajectory and and this is and really since the lows of 2022 as an example you know the stock has just been on an absolutely tear higher and continues just to kind of advance right and and so it was just kind of going completely vertical and and everybody's like oh this is you know they're they're gonna die you know if you got ai you gotta have cybersecurity which is a true statement um, but this stock is trading at very extreme valuations, trading at uh, 15 times price to sales and, and PEs are, are, are rather lofty. And, and so today, this thing's going to correct a quarter of its overall value. Now, this, this is important because we lose sight of the fact about how percentages work. If you take a look at Palo Alto Networks, this stock was trading about $125 a share back in the lows of October of 23, just last year. Okay, we were at about $125 a share. The stock closed yesterday at almost $400. So the reason that's important is that the stock from October is up over 200%. But that's so today the stock's going to be down 25. Let's just call it 25%. It's going to lose a quarter of its value this morning. It won't be down quite that much, but it'll be pretty close. See, we don't measure the decline relative to the percentage gain that it had. It's not giving up 25% of the gain it had from October, it's giving up 25% of its total value from zero. Right? So this is the important thing we have to understand about losses. It's great to, you know, we get all wrapped up in these things. Oh, this stock's up 100% this year. Okay, great. It's up 100%. If you lose 25% of its value, it's 25% of its total value from zero. And so the stock's going to open today right around the 200-day moving average, which is around 280-ish. Now, this is a good company, Right. I, you know, I would, I will be probably advocating my portfolio management team at some point here to look at beginning a position in the, in the stock. The long-term outlook for the company is good. This is going to correct a lot of that overvaluation problem, but it's going to take a while probably. It's not going to be today or tomorrow because what's going to happen is that a lot of people are going to get home after work today and go, what happened to my position. I'm out. And that's going to create some additional selling pressure. So you may, and then of course, what happens is, is you also have a lot of people get home. It's like, oh man, I just lost 25% of my, 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 my position. If the stock comes back a bit 
you know, I'm going to sell. And so what happens is you have a lot of pinup selling that occurs. So the, the stock will rally a bit. Sellers are going to come in. You get another decline. That second decline is usually the decline you want to buy. So what you're looking for is this thing to establish a base somewhere. And that base is probably back towards, you know, $200, $225 a share, which is those previous peaks the stock was at back in 2020 when it was also, and this, and this is the part that we often forget, is that you go back to 2020, right? Strip out all of the price advance from where we are currently, you know, from 2020 to here, right? And just go look back at 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. And these stocks were going parabolic back then. And we were going, man, these things are crazy overvalued, right? But that that advance is dwarfed by the advance they've had from October of 2022 when we were coming out of that bear market. That advance has just been absolutely phenomenal. And so, again, it's not surprising that we're seeing this type of thing going on. So, And this is the risk with NVIDIA today, is that it's very possible that if NVIDIA disappoints in the slightest, and again, Palo Alto Networks didn't really disappoint in their earnings, right? Um, here, I'll just you know read to you from, from the actual report. <clears throat> Shares of cybersecurity company Palo Alto Networks plunged 20% in extended trading on Tuesday after the company reported a beat. They beat on top and bottom lines. They lowered their full year guidance for revenue and earnings. That's what I was talking about with NVIDIA. NVIDIA is probably going to beat on top and bottom line. It's that forward guidance that's the risk. And if they do lower that forward guidance, there's a real risk the stock could be down 20% by in the morning. Now, again, doesn't mean that anything's changed. It just means that the market is having to reassess the value that it's attaching to these companies. And, and again, look, this stock could be up 20% tomorrow as well. If they reaffirm their guidance and boost it, the stock will be up 20% tomorrow. So, you know, it's, it, you know, no, no, uh, no guarantee about what's going to happen. That's the risk of investing. In a conference call with analyst CEO Aurora said the lowered guidance was due to a shift in strategy. They want to accelerate growth. Our platform migration and consolidation and act and activating AI leadership, adding that the company expected a difficult customer as the company shifts stance. So again, they're still very optimistic on their outlook, very optimistic on their business, and they're trying to reshift their focus in order to accelerate their growth. The market didn't like that. And that's the risk with some of these stocks. Yes, these companies are great, right? They are producing earnings and revenue and doing all kinds of great, fantastic things. But when you get valuations as stretched as they are, and you have these absolutely phenomenal moves in these stock prices that make really kind of no technical sense whatsoever, and you just have a vast number of, of retail traders that are just piling in to chase these names, there is the, this is that risk we talk about where you can just wake up one morning and have a very big contraction in your portfolio. And this is why, you know, taking oversized bets and positions, 
taking on too much risk can have very negative outcomes in your portfolio. So this is why you always want to try to mitigate that risk, you know, balance it relative to other positions in your portfolio. So, and this is why we talk about overweighting and underweighting positions. And we're like, we're underweight NVIDIA right now. So, you know, we're hoping for a big pullback so we can add to the position. But, you know, this is the type of things that, you know, we talk about a lot and it gets lost in the hype of the markets so as the markets are just tearing off to new heights we forget about risk and we always think about risk being the function of well the more risk i take the more money i make that's a true statement but the the better statement is is the more risk i take the more money i will lose if i'm wrong and again what a lot of people are going to find out today is that a lot of retail traders didn't pile into the stock until just recently. And they're going to have a negative return on their position after this morning's open. Because, again, it's not 19%, you know, just I'm just going to be down 19, 20, 22, 23%. And I'm just going to give up, you know, last month's gain. No, this is 20% of the total value of the company in terms of its price. And see, this is going back to percentages. This is what, you know, Wall Street's terrible about this. They post, they post a chart every now and then. They say, look, the market's up 3,000% over the course of this 10-year period or whatever. And if you just look at bear markets, you know, they're only down 30 40% in a bear market. And so, see, bear markets don't really have any any problem. You know, the bear markets are so small relative to the gains you make in, in in the markets that don't worry about bear markets. They don't tell you that a fifty percent decline in the market can wipe out a hundred percent of the gains of the previous run because that's the way percentages work. All right. Wrap up the show for the day. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Michael Lee, what's joining me tomorrow? We'll talk about NVIDIA's results in the morning. Talk about what that's going to do for the markets and whether or not the markets can hold on to the 20-day moving average today. We'll see what happens after the market opens. Markets are pointing lower this morning, so we'll see how the day works out. We'll talk to you in the morning on the next edition of The Real Investment Show. Have a great day.